Welcome everybody to another episode of O2 and You. I'm your host, David Garbett, the director of O2 Utah. And today on the program, we are discussing air pollution and the implications that it has for birth and miscarriage. And joining me on the program, Dr. Matt Fuller, um, an associate professor of emergency medicine at U. Dr. Fuller, welcome. Thanks, David. I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk a little bit about air pollution and its effects on, uh, on vulnerable populations and just really appreciate what you and your colleagues are doing in terms of trying to get uh, all of us a bit more educated on what we can do and what the risks are associated with air pollution. Before we jump into the conversation, um, just want to cover some of the, uh, the basics here of this study that you put out uh, just a few years ago with some colleagues. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are regular readers and subscribers to the journal Fertility and Sterility. Um, if you're not, you may have missed it. Uh, the title, let me see if I get this right, Matt, is Acute Effects of Air Pollution or Air Pollutants on Spontaneous Pregnancy Loss, a Case Crossover Study. You nailed it, David. A lot of fancy words there, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, in, 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 in summary, it really just how does bad air affect the unborn? And you found that it does. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's a, it's a scary thing when a hunch turns out uh, to be true. Um, and just backing up a little bit, if I may, uh, my motivation for this study was personal, like a lot of us, you know, uh, science at its most basic is just curiosity. And uh, for me, uh, not being from the Wasatch Front originally, moving from Iowa, I didn't know about the bad air here in Utah before moving here in 2010. And it was a shock. You know, I had Utah held up as this beautiful, idealistic place that had just incredibly pristine uh, environment. And then to have uh, found out a few short months later after moving here for residency that we suffered some of the worst air in the country, if not the world, was really a shock. It didn't affect me personally until I started thinking about having a family. Uh, and at the time, uh, my brother and sister-in-law, and I'm sharing this with the permission, but my brother and sister-in-law had also moved here and uh, were in the process of starting a family and they suffered a miscarriage during a period of particularly bad air. And uh, as I mentioned, curiosity is really kind of what leads people in these questions. And I think that's the, the best part of science. And so I began to get kind of curious, wondering, you know, what sort of environmental effects could have contributed to uh, uh, their, their miscarriage. And their miscarriage happened in March of, I think it was 2016, and during a, a particularly uh, foul period of air. Uh, and uh, so I started to gather some colleagues. I, I reached out to uh, the Department of Obstetrics. I uh, reached out to some colleagues in population health sciences. And uh, using uh, a lot of really uh, hardworking and intelligent people as colleagues, we were able to, uh, to put together this, this neat study. Um, that's interesting, and I want to you know, talk a little bit about this because I think in politics and in culture these days, America, I'm part of the group that sees what we're going through as a crisis. Um, sure. Epistemology, the way that we discover truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so often I feel like, especially when it comes to scientific matters, people feel like, you know, how can somebody really know that? Dr. Fuller, are you an alarmist? How can you really know that yeah. bad air 
then is connected to this because it's mm -hmm. not like you know every miscarriage comes with a tag that says thanks to bad air yeah um, there's so many factors so how is it that you know something like this you you had seen this thing in your personal life you had these concerns you reached out to your colleagues how did you go from that phase to a phase where you said fairly confident that what we see here in places like salt lake with pollution is actually causing problems like this yeah, David, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that point because I think it's so important to acknowledge that oftentimes uh, we as scientists or professionals um, talk in these lofty terms and uncertainties, and we do a really poor job of explaining how we arrive at those conclusions. And uh, uh, that's no one's fault but our own. And so uh, let, me, let me try to, to, to lay it out here as, as best I, I can. When we do studies, uh, whether it's on uh, climate change or it's on uh, snowfall or it's on uh, heart attacks uh, or a traumatic hemorrhage or miscarriage, we have ways to control for different things that may bias data that come in. Meaning people are absolutely correct to have concerns that how can you be certain that the results you see are caused by X and not Y? And we use very important tools uh, that have been developed over the course of you know, the last hundred years in science to control for all those different variables that may be uh, impacting the data that's coming back to us that we're trying to analyze for truth. And we use those same tools in, in this study. Uh, we're really lucky here in Utah to have something called the Utah uh, Population Database. And it is uh, an anonymized, meaning there's no names tied to it, but an anonymized data set on all sorts of metrics on people's age, their sex, how many births they have, where they live, uh, whether they're a smoker, whether they're obese, all sorts of things. So we can look at large, large, large dreams of data and follow a trend and say, this is what's happening. Uh, we use that data set uh, with permission to uh, accomplish this study we were able to match individuals who were in the first trimester of pregnancy, that's the first 14 weeks of pregnancy, who lived in certain zip codes within the Wasatch Front, uh, who presented to the emergency department between 2007 and 2015, it was 1,500 women who then suffered pregnancy loss. So that's great, so we've got a data, a data set there. Well then how do we tie those people to air quality data? Well, again, we're very lucky in Utah to have uh, the Division of Air Quality Control, which has kept records on Utah uh, air to the day uh, um, going back to the early 90s. We were able to match both of those data sets to their zip code and then follow a trend over three and seven days that uh, gave us these results. So does that help explain? I'm happy to get into the weeds, but yeah, I mean, I just think it's one of those where, you know, unfortunately, when these issues come up in, in political discourse, oftentimes there's a lot of motivated reasoning and there are those sure. who say, you know, I don't want to see action in addressing pollution. So let me right. try and poke holes in the science. And they'd say, mm -hmm. Dr. Fuller, the scientific standard is to do a randomized control trial. Mm -hmm. And you know, which I think is just totally disingenuous for issues like this, because essentially yeah. what they're saying is to know with absolute certainty, yep. what we really need to do is have a group of women that are pregnant 
one group of women and another group of women. And they're mm -hmm. a large enough group that we can say statistically, they look all the same. They have all the same risk. We're yep. going to put, we're going to lock one in a room and we're going to mm -hmm. pump it full. And then, yeah, right. you know, just in the, in a clean right. area, some big, some really big problems. I mean, obviously right. we have to do that. We're, we're bound by ethical issues that uh, uh, we will never be able to perform a study like that. Thank goodness when no one wants to be subjected or have their loved ones subjected to a study like this. And so the best, the next best certainty we can reach is something called an observational trial, which is what this was. We observed retroactively the data essentially allowing for a control group and a non-control group and compared those two outcomes. Yeah. And I just, so. think, you know, with your study, with so much of the work that goes into trying to understand how air pollution affects people, they yeah. are observational studies of this. Of nature. course, of course. We just can't sit down and say, hey, you know what? Yeah. We have this hunch that pollution really yep. affects you. We're going to lock you in a room and subject you. <laughs> yeah, no. this and, and thank goodness. And, and quite quite frankly, sometimes the data that comes from a study that is observational has far greater implications and far larger data sets than, than a study that I can design and recruit 1,500 people, right? Uh, for obvious reasons, you know, the, the financial implications, the, the, uh, the manpower it would take. So we can have these very large population-based studies where we're really not enrolling anybody, but just observing what happens to the population at large. So... So I deviated. You were yeah. explaining how you've got a great database that you can look at mm -hmm. where women are coming to hospitals from, mm -hmm. women that have come in for miscarriages, and you can compare what was happening with air quality. Right. And you're, you're fairly confident that you have enough women you're looking at that you can kind of control for some of these other risk factors. Right. What did you find when you sat down and looked at that? Yeah, so three main pollutants we're concerned about here uh, on the Wasatch Front and kind of kind of worldwide uh, when we talk about air quality. The first is, you'll all be familiar with this PM 2.5. This is the really small particulate matter that clouds the air, just like uh, in your background there, uh, David. Uh, it comes from uh, internal combustion engines. It comes from manufacturing. It comes from uh, mining, things like this. Anything that suspends these really small particles that then we can inhale. Uh, the second is a nitro nitrogen dioxide. And this again comes from burning uh, uh, fuels, it comes from burning stoves, it comes from burning uh, petroleum-based products, uh, oftentimes the fuel we use in vehicles. And the third is ozone. And ozone also comes from uh, uh, poor combustion uh, in internal combustion engines. And so we, look at, we looked at those three uh, uh, pollutants. We looked at uh, um, time periods of three and seven days in terms of uh, exposures to women, because that's typical of uh, a Wasatch weather pattern where we have you know, a week or two of really poor air or a couple of days of really poor air and then it's flushed from the system rather than uh, you know, constant exposure uh, like some other places in the world. Uh, and what we found was startling. Uh, with nitrogen dioxide in particular, we found that women, when they over the course of seven days were exposed to a 10 parts per billion increase, it's very short, uh, period of time and a very small increase, had about 16% increased odds ratio of, uh, of miscarriage. Um, now that's kind of an abstract term to think about. Um, and I don't want to get too too far off track, but that that is similar to the rate of miscarriage associated with cocaine use in first trimester pregnancy. So I think that really contextualizes it uh, or, or did so for me uh, and probably our listeners as well. Uh, with PM 2.5, uh, we also found that over a period of three and seven day increases, 
when 10 micrograms uh, concentration increased over the course of three days and seven days, there was a trend towards harm, but we did not have enough people in our study to say definitively, this absolutely certainly black and white, yes, is a cause for, for miscarriage in this case. Ozone, there was no, uh, there was no association, surprisingly, so. Interesting. Yeah. So on that, let's go back to helping people understand kind of um, in a typical inversion, or at least the inversions where you were looking at, you talked about a 10 parts per billion. Mm -hmm. Were these relatively standard inversions? Were you seeing kind of standard spikes? Right. Yeah. Uh, no, so so, so um, I think, again, a way to take this kind of abstract uh, conclusion and contextualize it for our listeners, we've had uh, over the last uh, four days a... 28% or 28 uh, part per billion increase in PM 2.5 uh, or nitrogen dioxide. And so we're suffering this right now. We're all sitting in this Merck right, right now. This is happening as we are talking. So this isn't something that is uh, unheard of or happens once a year. It happens every week during uh, these periods that we suffer bad air. So, mm -hmm. so are you saying in an a version like this, where we see that sort of increase, you'd expect to see it jump somewhere over 40% for the typical miscarriage rates? About 16%. So we don't well, double 16 it. 16 for every 10, right? Well, so we associate it with 10 and 16%. It's not cumulative. So okay. thankfully it's not, because that would be just horrific to think yeah. about it that way. But we're still talking about, you know, 1.6 pregnancies out of every 10 pregnancies. That's that's really profound to think about, um, and uh, and 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 I'm not I'm not you know lying when I say that when I work in the emergency department like I was last night and I am again this evening, I will see women who I'm suspicious are suffering miscarriage because of bad air. These are healthy young women in their 20s, first or second pregnancy, everything is going well, and now I have to explain to them they're not going to have this baby that they're, they, they and their partner have been anticipating having. So that's terrible. I mean, there are profound implications. There, and, yeah. And it, even if it's hard for me, of course, it's harder for those families who, uh, you know, are losing this child. So what recommendations do you have for women then if they are pregnant, especially if they're in that first trimester and where it seems like the, there's an inversion on the horizon? This is really hard, right? Uh, um, because the resources that are available to mitigate pollutants um, cost money. And, and so they're not in reach for, for every single person. Uh, the only things that will take uh, nitrogen dioxide out of the air are a filter that has activated charcoal or activated carbon. Uh, and that's because it's a volatile combustion or volatile gas. Uh, things that will take PM 2.5 out of the atmosphere, things like HEPA filters, are, are things that I suggest, you know, but otherwise, it, even staying inside, we know that uh, air pollution inside oftentimes is worse than air pollution outside. So it's really difficult to, uh, to tell uh, women, especially women who may not have the, uh, the luxury of purchasing some of these things that can mitigate uh, these pollutants, uh, what to do. And that's why I think it's incumbent upon all of us to, to just first recognize the problem that this is something that's affecting all of us and affecting you know, people we love. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. It just doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter where the pollution's coming from, whether it's California, China, or Utah. 
the problem is here and we need to collectively as a community figure out how to address it and what our priorities are. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's still stunning. And I have to say, and I've shared this with you before, so much of the, you know, air pollution research, landmark air pollution, pollution research is often originating or has a Utah tie because we've got this, unfortunately, laboratory here to right. test a lot of these things. You know, there's some good research that has come out that um, says that on average, Utahns are probably losing somewhere around two years of their lives because of all that air. Um, I saw this. Yeah. I, you know, I share that stat with people and it's like, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't motivate anybody. Yeah. I haven't figured out the right mix and maybe people yeah. understand more like, what would you do if you had two extra years of life? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Isn't there a lot you could accomplish or you'd like yeah. to do? It doesn't seem to sink in your research. That study is the one that I've seen kind of catch people more than almost. Thanks, any. David. Yeah. You know, this, 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 this isn't, you don't want to be putting kids at risk like this no. and that really drives it home. Listen, this, this isn't a Democrat issue. This isn't a Republican issue. This is a human issue. This is, uh, this is something that affects every single one of us. Uh, and, um, it should affect you. I, I mean, it, it should it should it should make you pause and think about you know what car you're driving, how you're commuting, what you're burning. Uh, our choices have implications, and um, you know uh, we're really lucky to have the freedom of choice here. Um, but that also comes with a responsibility. Um, each and one of, each and every one of us shares a responsibility to 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 each other and and the vulnerable patients among us, the people among us you know, not the least of are, are the unborn. So I think um, it's, it's really important that we, we think about this, our, our, our uh, you know, our elected representatives think about this and we come together collectively to address these, these issues as a community. One other editorial observation here is that sometimes I hear from the governor and I think this message has trickled down to some other political officials is, mm -hmm. Things aren't perfect, but you know what? We are in attainment. And they really talk about things in this framework of the Clean Air mm -hmm. Act and national mm -hmm. air quality standards, you know, some of these technical terms. And I don't in any way want to disparage that legislation. It's a really good thing. I think it's driven most of the air quality improvements in this country and here in Utah. Mm -hmm. But Utah, by the definition of the Clean Air Act and standards that the Environmental Protection Agency has set for things like fine particulates mm -hmm. or oxides of nitrogen. Under that categorization, elected officials here could say, we're meeting federal standards. Right. We're doing well. And right. your research is saying, even at this level where you meet those standards, yeah. you have this additional spike in miscarriages. Yeah. And you know, you're not alone there. Like we just talked about the research saying at the levels we're at today, mm -hmm. potentially meeting those standards, we're losing two extra years of life. The EPA had funded some pretty significant research similar to yours on the effect right. of low consistent levels of fine particulates and found that they're probably causing over 100,000 extra deaths in this country. This just Crazy. came out. Um, it's nuts. I mean, I feel like the science continually shows us we're thinking, oh, here's the threshold. Once we get below this pollution, <laughs> we're going to be okay. He says, nope, no, keep going. It's, keep a, going. it's a spectrum, right. And, and you know, um, I, I think oftentimes, not to cut you off, David, but oftentimes people say, well, 
what are the trade-offs? You know, we need jobs, we need industry, we need these things. And, and I agree, but I also insist that we're smart enough to figure out ways that we can address both issues at the same time. It doesn't have to be a dualistic approach where you're either black or white. We, we especially as Utahns are incredibly resourceful. We can address these issues. And I would challenge our, our legislators and, and our governor to, to look for constructive uh, ideas on how to address this the, the Utah way. I, we absolutely need to do that. And I know we can. Yeah. You know, I took that argument that you mentioned, Matt, serious for a while. <laughs> yeah. They made the mistake of pursuing a master's in economics only to realize at the end, <laughs> pollution is actually economic inefficiency. And of it's course not it an is. either or. In fact, it's you need to do both. Yeah, is, is simply, you know, concentrated benefits, but for greater detriment and harm. Right. And economy actually addresses those. Everyone would be better off if we do something about it. You know, um, it, it, you know, I, I really don't want to go down this rabbit hole with the pandemic, but just like we're finding out with public health, we need to balance public health with economic health. They're, they're, they're completely interrelated. We, yeah. You're not going to have a healthy workforce if we have too much pollution. You're not going to have a workforce if we keep killing our unborn. So we need to address both. Well, I'm experiencing this personally right now <laughs> with preschool. I mean, this is the bane of so many parents. Yes. My preschool has, you know, you could say, who needs any precautions? Who cares? The entire staff is out sick with COVID right now. And I'm sorry. That's I'm, hard, right? I'm not working. This is, you know, it's a major impediment to the economy. Of course, we need to figure out like all these things. We it's not one or the other; they're together. They go hand in hand. And I'm sorry that your family's dealing with that. I've suffered the same. It's not an easy thing to navigate. I think everybody's in that boat these days. Yes, my friend. You, so, Dr. Fuller, um, any follow-up research, or what are your plans um, to go? You know, on this track, are you are you pursuing any additional research, looking into any other questions along these lines? You know, I've I've had uh, um, I've been really humbled by the publicity that we've had uh, um, and the attention this study has has brought. I you know again I did this to satisfy my own curiosity and mm -hmm. uh, uh, along the way I've been I've just uh, really um, really humbled by how many people have reached out. We've had you know researchers in the UK. The Guardian ran this uh, this trial and was interviewed by the Guardian newspaper in London. Mm -hmm. And I uh, have had some UK researchers reach out to us in China. I've had researchers reach out to us. So a lot of people who are interested in collaborating uh, with, with me. Um, we haven't had anything really come off the ground. Obviously, COVID has, has taken a, a front seat to a lot of this, given my uh, line of work. But I'm really eager to expand upon this. Larger population-based studies, uh, maybe a prospective observational trial here uh, in Utah, obviously not a, a randomized control trial where we subject one group or not. But I, I think there's a lot of data left to, to gather. So interesting. And, you know, you, you say this, I want to go back to the um, notion of following your curiosity. Yeah. You're listening and you're a doctor, researcher. Yeah. Please do that. I can't. Thanks. I, it's interesting. So many of the landmark studies in the state really have come from precisely what you described. Yeah. You know, you've interviewed yeah. on this program, Isabella Arago, who's the lead sure. author on the study that, you know, that uh, estimated the average Utah is losing two years of life. And just like you, a transplant to Utah who said, mm -hmm. wait, why, why, how is everybody just going around their daily lives? This is nuts. And looking yeah. into it that. And I remember C. Arden Pope, an economist down at BYU, is one of the mm -hmm. authors of that, the famous Harvard Six Cities study that's really yep. kind of the landmark 
study sure. on um, fine particulates and, and right. A lot of his just came from interest of looking at, I wonder what effect Geneva still is having on the health of people here in Utah. In Utah? Mm-hmm. Listen, I, I am incredibly proud to be a Utah. Uh, even as a transplant to Utah, I identify as Utah. And uh, like any Utah, I know that this state has incredible uh, promise and capacity. Uh, and, and people are seeing that. Look, look at all the people moving to the Wasatch Front. So I want to make this place even better. I know it has the potential to do so. Um, I know we as, a, as a, a, a citizenry of Utah have the potential to make this place better. And uh, I welcome anyone who wants to, to, to work alongside me, uh, such as yourself, David, uh, and advocate for, for better air. So we'll put up on our on the socials um, reference to the study that we've been. Please talking. share it. People Please would do like share. to learn more. Is there any other place you recommend for those who might want to learn a little bit more about this or understand resources about risks, particularly those who are, you know, going through pregnancy or considering pregnancy right now? I'm going to put in a plug for you. I think you're an incredible resource for uh, all sorts of people. So, uh, but I, I am always happy to talk with anyone who's interested or concerned. Um, our OBGYN colleagues are fantastic at talking about risk and risk mitigation, uh, and certainly I would defer to them. They're, they're a wealth of information. Um, I think if you can afford uh, uh, an air filter, um, buy one for your home, protect your kids, protect yourself, uh, protect your unborn, uh, just make sure it has activated carbon in it and the filter itself. If you want to filter out the volatile chemicals that we're talking about being perhaps the most detrimental. So, John. Well, Dr. Fuller, I know we are squeezing yeah. you in before you have a, an upcoming shift. So I, I am taking this time to chat with us. Any I am so words? grateful. For, for the opportunity, David, and, and really appreciate uh, you doing all the work you do to advocate for, for clean air for, for us. So. Well, right back at you. Thank you for helping Thanks. educate people on the need and for being uh, you know so helpful to us and uh, backer of our big air quality proposal. I sincerely of course, of course. I, uh, I'm always eager to, to, to chat with you, David. Uh, I can't believe 30 minutes is up and it's ran through, uh, both because my kids haven't interrupted me and <laughs> because uh, yeah. uh, I just had a good time. I, this was fantastic. So thank yeah. you. Excellent. Well, we'll have to get you back on. With your, I love that. Uh, your next study. I love that, David. Thanks so much. Take yeah, care. Stay well. Yeah, okay. Good luck to you all. Thanks all right. everyone for listening. Bye-bye. Yeah. Goodbye.